Jotunheim, the heart of the network of the gods, miles of bone, sinew, and synapse. It's time to tear it all down. Ragnarok is coming, and it's you. When you make eye contact with Tyr, now that his his self is sort of like rejuvenated. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is specifically for, for Aki because mm-hmm. the other two of you have not like made direct eye contact with him in this moment. Aki, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Ah! Uh, oh no. So our main shtick was kind of like, we were, you know, we're folks of this neighborhood. What was our neighborhood called? Pump Strings. Pump Strings. It's the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they said the thing. <laughs> so Puppet Strings is a community that means a whole lot to us. You know, this is the home of Aki. This is probably where they eventually had formed their connection with Groa. So like this has a lot of power, to so to say, and a lot of good memories. You know, they've kind of done what they can to save those who can't save themselves. But I think a lot of that, that desire to want to take care of others who can't care for themselves came from the fact that they let maybe like a bus full of people. They just like they they were they had the opportunity to try and save a bunch of people. And it was a choice between doing something difficult or letting them all go. And she made the choice to let them all go. And that's not something Aki has ever spoken about but it's something i mean with groa maybe because it was the best decision in that moment but it was absolutely not the right decision that is at the as soon as you lock eyes with tear that is at the forefront of your mind you are living that moment again you are living the choice that you made and the immediate fallout of it and i would like you to make a difficulty eight roll using your excellent detail makes the best worst decisions dang <laughs> 10d6. If you have bone bonded abilities that you think would come in handy now, they may add extra dice. I'm not sure there are any for this, but this is a little Ooh. outside of what bone bonded do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, glitch in the network, ancient flex, yeah. or the living network. Yeah, no, I think it's just going to be you. I don't think your gear helps you either. No. <laughs> All right, and I needed a success of what? You need eight. One. Oh gosh, it's been a hot minute. Uh, fives and sixes are successes or only sixes? Mm-hmm. Yep, you've got three of them. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's not, not good, but... <laughs> not great. It's not good, but it's not the worst thing I've ever rolled. You have the option of spending a control point and re-rolling the misses to try and get up there, or you That's can take success at a cost and you will get a number of glitch dice equal to the difference between what you rolled and the number you needed. So it'd be five glitch dice. Control point. Okay. So what detail are you going to use to to do this it does not have to be one of your character details it could be something in the room it could be something you you make up like what is it about you in the situation that is causing you to be able to to dig deeper and to to have more fortitude in the face of tears judgment i think it's i mean a lot of what groa has spoken to me is reflected in what i'm seeing and what i'm feeling here the the dichotomy of the two worlds that are kind of intertwining between each other the 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 cyber filled world and then the the natural filled world and i feel like aki is comfortable enough in the two of them that they can kind of like ground herself in this moment and not kind of tremble or quake at the gaze of tear no matter how terrifying and how tangible that horrible feeling of those memories uh, are cool that says to me that you're using one of Groa's details. I like, I, th- how about if it has been spoken, I can speak it. Yeah. <laughs> because Groa has been telling you the stories of, of how things are temporary and yes, all lives pass, right? It gives you some perspective. Okay. So you got three successes on your mm-hmm. 10 dice. That means you have seven more you can roll to try and get up to eight successes. So roll seven. And any sixes okay. you get on this explodes. You get to re-roll them. Right. Thank you. Ooh. One, two. Okay. So that takes you to five, okay. and they were both sixes, so roll two. One more six. That's six successes. Roll one. Roll that six again. Ah. <laughs> I love exploding dice. Ah. <laughs> this is what it's all about. Ah. So you've got six successes of the eight that you needed. 
Your option now is you've spent the control point. We could do it again, but I think that that's gilding the lily. Success nah. at a cost is only two glitch dice at this point in time. I'm going to do it. I'm doing okay. it. I'm doing, absolutely doing it. <laughs> so you take two glitch dice as that that guilt's not leaving, right? It's It's handled. It is manageable, but it's very present in in your mind. As long as you're around here, it's not really going to go away, even once you get rid of the glitch dice. However, if you will look, Tyr's first box has been marked, because you oh. did succeed on a roll in this encounter. Okay, we'll take it. So, you asked Tyr to explain how this was once the way, is that correct? Yes. So Tyr turns to you, and there still is a crackling as he moves his body. He still is moving deliberately and, and stiffly. And he looks at you and says, Once we sat around fires like this, we shared companionship, we shared stories, we shared food and drink. This, and he cracklingly sort of gestures to the half-organic room that you're in, this is but a memory of that. But I had the opportunity to extend hospitality, and that is not something I take lightly. Thank you. That's, that's really kind of you. He's, he laughs. At the word kind. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as dry as it was before, but it still seems to be difficult for him to force air out in that way. Kind is not a word that has been used to describe me in a long time. I understand why. I mean, it's... I... I think Ronnie's making a move here. I don't think it's the right. I don't think it's a good decision, <laughs> but I know I know the decision that Ronnie makes in this exact moment. Ronnie really like hears the words. This is but a memory. And like Idis and Aki, you can see her face is on fire. You see there is an immediate scowl and that kind of smirking mm-hmm. uh, smirking confidence is gone as, mm, as, as yeah. he just leans forward. And who was it that made that a memory? Who was it? entertain me tier who was it that made that a memory who was it that made it that in our lives we don't get those experiences because i i'll give you three guesses who i think it is and 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 is clearly leaning forward and clearly like making it there's a little bit of there's a little bit of of intentionality to his body language a lot of it is just raw emotion and anger and the fury of hearing this being opine for a thing that that he and the other gods took from us, but also there's a little bit of intentionality of, like, being a little bit amplified, like, like you kind of see that immediate response, and then you kind of see him start to, like, lean into it, and you see her kind of, like, be a little bit bigger, Mm -hmm. to kind of be like, I'm putting focus on me here. Like, I am making, this is, this is me making sure that, like, I am seen as the, as, as the villain here, and so that if things go badly, I am target number one. Sure. So for that, you get to take an action and roll some dice before Tyr locks eyes with you. So you're going to get two die rolls okay. here. One for this action you're taking, and then you're going to have to respond to the same question that I asked Aki. So what, what detail are you using for drawing Tyr's attention like this? I am using Idis and Aki are getting out of here no matter what. I, I am very specifically doing this to like put focus on me, right? Like I am doing this specifically to to draw on tier to like draw tier's attention and specifically kind of like positioning myself as the aggressor so that so that Aki and Idis can continue to kind of play nice in this moment. Okay. What are you all thinking for a difficulty in this? Doesn't seem like it's actually that hard because mm. tier seems to be conversational for lack of a better term, but it's also an obvious bait to try and get tier to think the way that Ronnie wants him to think? I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that you are trying to accomplish vis-a-vis making yourself the target of an angry god is a pretty easy thing to do. I think having this go well is a different matter entirely, and I'm not sure which of those we're trying to roll for. I think it should be the second of the two. Yeah, I think that's the harder the thing and the more, the more, the thing that is more left up to chance. So I think it is the latter of trying to maybe get Tyr to like take the bait and engage with the line of thinking to like draw him into the argument rather than just putting the attention on me. I think the the attention on me is is kind of a is kind of a given. It's more like I'm trying to get you to admit to some level of culpability. Right. It's like if you fail a role where you're trying to get Tyr mad at you, like that's that's just kind of advantageous (laughs) storytelling. (laughs) So we're gonna call that a six then, I think. Okay. 
That is one, two successes on seven dice. Okay. If you want success at a cost, you've got four glitch dice coming at you, and they would immediately be applied to the roll that you're going to have to make when Tear locks eyes with you. I am going to, I am going to spend a control point. I'm spending a control point, and I know what detail I'm going to use to reroll my dice. Disaster here is only skin deep. Uh, this <laughs> seems like I am lashing out. This seems like, and, and it might even seem that way momentarily to Idis and Aki, but I'm actually going to throw this over to you. How in control do you think that I am being right now? Because I'm curious if you how how your read what you what each of your read on the situation okay. is. Okay. What's your read, Idis and Aki? Yeah. Do you have a thought on this, B? Because if not, I'll take it. I kind of want Idis's take, just because I don't know. After having that encounter with Tear, it's not that Aki's not ready to kind of give you a a quick vibe check but (laughs) being confronted with the trauma of your past isn't always something you can just wash off yeah for sure no i mean i think that this is an interesting scenario because there are very few things that itis could do in this room that would be useful you know (laughs) itis doesn't have a giant bone bonded that can you know go tete-a-tete with a god nor does itis have like the raw chutzpah necessary to you know (laughs) engage in a verbal spar with the literal icon of oppressive justice. But what Idis does know, <laughs> what Idis has always known, is the people that Idis loves. And I think that there is a moment where, like, you stand up and do this, and for a second, like, everything is in slow motion. This is the worst possible outcome. Like, all of Idis's nightmares at once. Like, fuck. Ronnie's gonna just, like, get dead right now. This is, I am about to watch <laughs> Ronnie die. Ronnie's going to get smoked. <laughs> Is the immediate thought is like, cool, okay, game over. Thanks for playing, everyone. But there is like no art in this world that Idis is as good at as the art of reading their friends. And I think that he looks over at you for a moment, like, and almost goes to like reach out and grab your wrist or something, like just to reflexively like pull you back, mm-hmm. like, don't do this. But I think there is a thing that Idis notices, which is that for as emotional as you seem for as loud and ostentatious and confrontational as you are right now, I think your hands are completely relaxed. I think that like, you know, your shoulders are tensed, like your face Mm -hmm. is angry, but like your fists aren't clenched. Your fingers are completely at ease. And I think that especially because Ronnie is somebody who like perpetually is working with his hands, like it makes sense that if you were in control of the moment, you wouldn't want to put anything between you and your first line of action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. That is the tell, I think. And I think that that's something that Idis immediately notices and kind of like doesn't relax, doesn't like sit back from where she had leaned forward, but stills for a second. We don't want to give anything away. Don't want to like show to tear like, ah, you know, we're not worried about this. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be equally deadly, but does notice. And then in this moment, like, Okay, you know, I all I can do is trust you. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so I'm gonna re-roll those five dice. That is two more successes, bringing me to four successes. That is one exploding dice. Uh, that is four successes. That would be two glitch dice coming my way. I will take those two glitch yes. dice on my next action. Okay, you say that, and before Tyr responds, he turns his head sharply. And locks eyes with you. Ronnie, what's the worst thing you've ever done? The list is not short. The list of of things is not short by any stretch. But a lot of them aren't terrible. Like, a lot of them aren't what what Ronnie or what anybody would probably consider. Like, there's a lot of things that went missing, right? There's a lot of things that were stolen. A lot of of stuff. Frankly, a fair number of people were hurt. Ronnie can process a lot of them and, and has justifications for almost all of them. But... There was one, there was one job, there was one heist, there was one, one pull off that didn't go as planned. And Ronnie, she's got plans for everything. Of course, of course she had a plan for this. It's the one plan that he never wanted to use. And it's the one plan that they used in this instance, which is somebody, somebody took a fall. It just happened to be whatever employee at this like corporate establishment happened to be working that day. And in all of these other Crimes, all of these other jobs, all of these other heists, the people that Ronnie hurt or stole from or took things from or enacted, enacted action onto were people that Ronnie could justify deserved it in some capacity. They were in some way complicit with the larger plans that Ronnie was 
in Ronnie's own mind as a heroic scoundrel and not just a petty crook fighting against. They were in some, they in some way deserved it. And this was the one case where that person was either imprisoned in the Panopticon or killed or, or something happened to this person that wholly didn't deserve it. They wholly were just the person that Ronnie pawned this off onto. And in this moment, I've learned every single detail of their life and every single, every single thread that has been unraveled by way of them, by way of Ronnie just shoving consequences onto them because, frankly, she got reckless on this job and somebody innocent suffered for it. So for the role that you're going to make in just a moment, instead of it being a difficulty eight, instead, erase those glitch dice. You're not going to roll them this time. Instead, your difficulty is going to be a 10. Two glitch <laughs> dice, two higher. And it's because of that sort of feed of information that you got. Mm-hmm. Itis and Aki, you actually see a branch like grow off of tear and touch Ronnie's shoulder when the gaze is locked. That's like the information download that happened. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, the person that you you strung up, the person that was left hung out to dry and took the fall for you, you know exactly where he is in the Panopticon in direct relation to your physical position right now. You can feel her there Oof. behind you, down, like down 154 feet and six inches. <laughs> they're pacing their cell and they're thinking about you right now. Mm-hmm. What detail are you going to use to roll against a difficulty of 10? Keeping in mind, we have not done this a whole lot and I'm just putting it out there as an option. You get a control point back if you choose to fail a roll. Before the dice hit the table. Again, I don't think it should. Need, this is not fate. I don't think failure. it needs to go that way. But I'm just reminding everyone of, of. Right. No. No. I'm just thinking out loud. I'm thinking out loud what it would look like if I failed this roll. I don't think I'm going to. And I think I kind of know what action Ronnie is going to take because it, it ties back in. I'm. I no. I, I'm not going to fail. And the reason I'm not going to fail is because the very first question that you Tracy asked me was why Ronnie is certain that this is going to work. And Ronnie had this vision that Ronnie has kind of been embracing a little bit it's something that he's kind of been grappling with this like weird pseudo religious dreamlike certainty that this was going to work and part of that is he's come to realize in his own mind that like the subcon there's something in that subconscious energy that subconscious mind that he is grasping onto in this moment in in this moment that that certainty is coming back and in this moment he is attempting something that is Frankly impossible, which I think is represented by this 10 dice. He is attempting as he as he thinks about this and they share this moment of mutually like being aware of one another. He is going to feed this person subconsciously through this branch. If we are connected, then there is a connection and I am going to subconsciously feed this person the information that they need to walk out like to get out of here. And so I would like to roll this fell off a truck to just start like whispering in my mind the codes that I have learned, the, the passwords, the people to reach out to, to be like, look, if I have a chance to make this right, this is this is what it's all been leading to. And this is my moment to make this right. OK, I would like you on your character sheet for your second or third gear slot, your choice. I would like you to write something that has to do with this vision, right? Because that okay. feels like a tangible thing that you can use right now. And it's going to add one die to your to your role because it's going to be helping you at this moment. Oh, what? Uh, I'm going to read you all what, what Jeff is writing, but it's really good. Uh-huh. Please do. Jeff's, Jeff's second piece of gear for Ronnie is now the certainty of justice. True justice, uh. not tears justice. Holy ah. shit. And so I am, I am rolling 11d6 on this action. Okay. 11d6 to try and get 10 successes. Okay. That is one... That is two, that's two <laughs> oh, successes. No, Holy no, crap. Oh, no. Well, we're rolling. We're re-rolling here. <laughs> okay. What detail are you going to highlight to be able to do that? I think that I am, I think I'm stringing Tyr along a little bit. And I think I'm letting him know that I'm stringing him mm-hmm. along a little bit. Like this is, this is further, this is as much an act of defiance against Tyr as it is just further like, giving Aki and Idis time to to work through so I am going to use Aki and Idis are getting out of here no matter what like this is yeah this is me going you want to you want to try and torture me fine let's do an impossible let's do an impossible thing and see what happens as 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 knowing that that this is that all of this is unfolding Idis and Aki have time and 
the energy to like figure out what their next move is. Fantastic. Roll those eight dice, please. That is three more successes, bringing us up to five successes. Two of them explode. That is six successes. I will take the remaining glitch dice. Not a bad trade-off via God. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll take those. I'll take those four glitch dice and we'll take it. We'll take a successful action. I think two successful actions, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. Well, so I marked the other one already. So this is the third successful action. And you get you get a sense that the person that you fucked over is still resentful, but they can feel Mm -hmm. all of the pieces coming together. It feels like their own idea, right? And she goes, I've got this. And you know that tonight, no matter what happens in this room, that person is leaving the Panopticon. They're gonna murder me, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm obsessed with, I'm so you know? sorry. I'm obsessed with the energy of like, we here are carrying out a mission in the Panopticon that has taken months and lives <laughs> and like infinite resources of planning. And meanwhile, there is someone in cell block 3C who's just walking around in their cell and all of a sudden is like, I know exactly how to bust out of the Panopticon (laughs) single-handedly. Like, that's the hero of the revolution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That there's your face, Roy. (laughs) Yeah, it's that girl. We don't know how the story's gonna end. Maybe it is. We'll find out. We we may wrap all this up, and I may ask you each to give me a name and three details. We'll find out. (laughs) All three of us die, and like that's the fucking mocking Jay right there. (laughs) We're just like we did it. We were all here to make that moment happen. This is the new (laughs) god of the revolution. And so I think that those glitch dice are the weight of this, right? Because I know that they're never going to forgive me. I know that he is. He has a. He is. He is going to curse my name, and frankly. There's a non-zero chance that he tracks me down and that, like, I get the just, the violent justice that I am due deserve. But at least in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what, like, and, and I probably, like, so again, subconsciously, like, gesture to this to tear of, like, yeah, what now? And as you're looking at him, and that's, that intensity is there, and you, you feel the weight of, like, deific judgment upon you. You feel it sort of waver and crumble, almost like one of the branches that, is continually growing and falling off of his body. And he, you get this strange sense that that judgment is turning within for a moment. Mm. And he says almost to himself, this was never the way it was supposed to be. I think at this moment, like Ronnie is actively laughing and it's like a defiant, like spiteful, angry kind of laugh. But Idis, the thing that you notice is like, I'm leaning back laughing and my hands are aggressively shaking and fisting. Yeah. But like, I'm fully in the cap and mode of like, <laughs> that should not have worked. <sighs> I think before anything else can happen, Idis grabs your wrist and like, not pulls you back, but like, puts himself it, or, like equal to where you are standing in position to tear, like stands up, has your wrist, like puts himself between you and the fire. And just like, and I think Idis is well aware, like, okay, something happens when you look at Tyr. Clearly, this is a thing I am noticing. Seems reasonable. Ronnie and Ronnie and Aki are just staring at each other now. (laughs) (laughs) But to sell this moment, you know, can't not look at Tyr. Mm -hmm. So like stands up and, and looks directly at Tyr and says, it doesn't have to be. There's a beat and... For a moment, you all hear fully and completely the sounds of a woodland clearing. Wind through the trees, you hear crickets, the call of an owl, water rushing in a distant stream. Jupiter, you don't have to lay all that in if you don't want to. Jupiter, do it. It'll be so cool. And Tyr looks up and locks eyes with you, Idis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you two questions. The second one is the one that everyone else has been asked. The first question is, what's the worst thing Tyr has done? Ooh. I like that question. The worst thing Tyr has ever done is made everyone else believe that the things that happened to them were earned. So. Fuck. Uh, sorry, I don't remember if we swear or not. <laughs> we do. We do. It's fine. I'm not going to even have you roll in this moment. Tyr's own judgment was leveled upon mm-hmm. himself and just because of the nature of the narrative it feels appropriate i'm just going to mark another box because cool. you know we're all our own worst enemies and i don't think tier is any different in that 
regard. Mm -hmm. And when he locks eyes with you, you can feel not just his judgment, but his Mm self-recrimination. And because of that, it's if there's one thing that Idis has above all else, it's empathy, Mm -hmm. right? Idis knows what you need before you do. And I think it is that that prompted you to speak in the way that you did. And you remember a story, Idis, that was... Most people didn't like this story when it was told by one of the one of the elders, and it was fragmentary. And in fact, it wasn't even so much a story as it was something that used to be understood, is that the gods were just reflections of who humanity is, right? They're those characteristics embodied and blown up. And in the oldest of stories, the gods are just as human as you are. They fail, they fuck up, and they make mistakes. And it's that that you can feel flowing from tear for a moment, and then it locks down, and all that's left is the judgment, but it's hitting you not quite as hard as everybody else. What's the worst thing that Idis has done? I've been thinking about this since the first question was pitched, because obviously I knew this was coming. And I don't want to downplay the significance of this question, because there is a real risk that this will feel like a cop-out answer, and I don't want it to. So if it lands and we're like, eh, I think we could do better, <laughs> then just tell me and we'll do better. Sure. But I think in this moment, what I keep coming back to is this question is not an objective question. That's not something you can possibly measure objectively, is what the worst thing somebody has ever done is. Right. All you can measure is like, in this moment, under these circumstances, what is the thing that would most undo you? Like, what is the thing that you would think of and feel like you cannot possibly walk back from? And I think the answer to this, in the worst thing that Idis has ever done, is that several years ago, when they were all much younger, I get the impression that Aki and Rani were not necessarily community-minded individuals. I I simply don't think that was always the case. Not at the beginning. Never. (laughs) I think that it's highly likely that that only happened owing to a certain level of association with Idis. And once that connection happened, you know, Idis being like, oh, well, you know, I have to go do this thing. You should totally come. It won't take very long. And then, oops, sorry, you're helping people move all day. Or like, oh, well, you (laughs) should come along for this thing. Like, there's somebody who I just have to stop and see real quick. It's not a big deal. And then like, oh, it just so happens that like you have something they need. Sorry. But this was a process that, you know, happened in such a way that it would have seemed like it was just a natural evolution of, you know, getting to know someone like Idis and finding yourself ingratiated in the community. What Idis knows is that it was not an accident. Idis saw these two and recognized in them something that their people and their community and their home desperately needed. And in a way that I think he would be a lot less likely to admit something that he needed. And the process of subtly and slowly and purposefully and only ever with the best of intentions manipulating these people into becoming a part of something bigger was entirely Idis's fault and while there are not many moments throughout the course of her life that they would you know regret that in this moment I think that they absolutely do Mm -hmm. because if this is the fate that has been chosen for all of them it's not a fate that happened by accident there are decisions that landed all three of them in this room. And what Idis and only Idis really fully knows is that two of them wouldn't be here without me. While you were talking, I did that gesture of like, I see you because I saw mm-hmm. where you were going and it just, it's so good. It's not even, it's the furthest thing from a cop out that I think I can imagine <laughs> in this moment. No, that is. Right? Any any other answer would have felt like a cop. If, if you were like, yeah, I just, I just fast and furious a bunch of cars one time. I stepped on a bug and I'm still not over it. Oh, gosh, it was a cute it bug, It was like a too. really cute bug. It didn't do anything wrong. It was one of those little fiber optic butterflies you see sometimes on the strings. Yeah. So the difficulty, because of Tyr's own self-flagellation, momentary though it was, was going to be knocked down from an eight to a six. The thing that Idis is remembering is so poignant and so true to the moment. And Tyr is observing this, right? And and mm-hmm. quantifying oh, yeah. it and trying to weigh it. And in that quantification, in that assessing of the gravity of the deed, is again forced to reconcile that being in the room with him right now is connected to the worst thing that this person has ever done. The difficulty is a four for this. 
because Boom. <laughs> you are skewering the god of justice. So what detail what detail are you gonna use? Damn. Oh my god, I just this has been your moment. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna use my good detail, which is a stranger's just a comrade I haven't met. Oh god. Partially because that is, I mean, the whole story of this thing. And I think that being able to reckon with like, no, this was the right thing to do, however this ends, like this was the core guiding principle of my life and I won't regret that. But also because I think in this moment, like what I'm trying to do, even by saying to Tyr, like it doesn't have to be this way, is that like, you know, there is a version of this story. And if there's anything that we're learning right now in this moment is that like we are in the domain of stories, but there is a version of this story, only one, where everything turns out right. Not just for us, not just for the people of the Panopticon, but like for everyone. Mm -hmm. That's a thing we can have. And the only thing keeping us from it is like this great twisted thing between us. Okay. Seven dice. Four successes. <sighs> okay. Come on. One, two, three. I got three of them. Better start than yeah, right. <laughs> Jeff and I have done so Better far. Better start than either of us. Yeah. Ooh. Do you want to spend a control point or take the glitch? Down? Yeah, I think I want to spend. A con it, I want to spend a control it, point. Let's nice. do it. Any thoughts on what this should be? I would love some community input. I, I, I do have. I do have a thought. I, 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 I think. I think that your other detail here is I know what you need before you know you mm -hmm. need it. Like you are. This is like Tier has not considered any of these things. You know, you are forcing Tier. You are, you are, you are in a way that is much more subtle and much more powerful and maybe much more connected to the horrible thing that you've done by bringing us here. Like, you are forcing Tyr to consider things that he desperately needed to consider. You are bringing that exact sense of justice that, that Ronnie is so certain is going to come. And Tyr does not even realize that, that he, that, that this is the moment where he has to reckon with it. I'll take it. All right. So I am rolling, I'm rolling four dice. Okay. Perfect. Come through. Yes. Everything's coming up, Itis. <laughs> you got the one you needed. Okay. And it's a queen success. So unlike the other two, you don't get any glitch dice that trail off from this action. And that's not to say that the thought isn't on your mind, that bringing your two best friends here is literally the worst thing that you've ever done. But when you look at Tyr, you're not consumed by the thought. It's not living at the forefront of your brain because Aki and Ronnie still have that like haunted look on their faces. So what do you think or see or feel now having reckoned with that and looking at Tyr? I think the big distinction and the big difference and maybe the only possible victory here is that I'm still looking at Tyr. Like I have not averted my yes. gaze. I'm still maintaining eye contact. And I think there are you know, there are tears rolling down my cheeks, but I have not otherwise faltered. Like, I have not broken this eye contact that we have. I am standing there, shoulders squared as much as I possibly can, and I am not looking down. Fantastic. This is a conflict with a threat, so it is now time for each of you to say one thing that Tear does. Oh, heck, yeah. Um, I think the first thing that Tear does, first thing that most threatened people do when they feel like they're wrong, is make themselves bigger. I feel like he stands up. And it is a Herculean, incredible, like, effort of a thing. But I think that he does. Yeah, I think that the sort of rehydration that occurred, you can see that it is not simply the reforming of, of muscle and tendon and flesh around bone. Mm -hmm. There's something less permanent about it than that, in that the arm that's on the blade, the hilt of the sword, tenses and flexes and grows and you see like his chest cavity start to deflate down to where it was before and his legs gain a little bit more body his right arm desiccates again as well as he in like i mean outside of this situation if you wanted to see the platonic ideal of a masculine left arm like that's what he has going on right now <laughs> and he definitely hasn't skipped leg day at this point in time but the rest of him is suffering Right, to, to get there. And I think he stands and he gets himself up to his feet and retains some equilibrium, like everything redistributes again. But there's like a pained expression on his face, though he stands towering above you at like eight and a half feet tall with his hand on a sword that is 
like seven feet that you can see and you're not sure how much is buried in the ground. And Idis is not big. Like, Idis is not even, like, Aki height. Idis is a a relatively compact individual. And I think that, like, this sudden shift in the dynamic, too, of, like, you know, you don't, even if it is sort of a facade, you don't hurt somebody who's sitting down at your campfire mm-hmm. with you. But, like, there's a distinctly different dynamic between, like, sitting at a campfire with another person versus, like, standing on the other side of a fire from a a wild creature in the night you know like Mm -hmm. lighting a fire to quite literally keep a wolf away is a very different thing from like sitting down with somebody across from a a, a roaring fire and swapping stories like this dynamic has shifted immensely nice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i i know what the next thing that that here does is and it is as as the eye as the eyes burn into itis and like branches grow and like we see branches grow at like an alarming rate and they suddenly just start blasting in every direction we start seeing things on the screen and that is that that tear is is also lashing out in a much more in a much more terrifying way if tear knows tear knows the worst thing that we did there's a lot of other things that tear knows and tear is shoring up that information to distribute it as widely and as directly as possible and so on these monitors around us and 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 on these speakers that the murmuring that we were hearing in the same way that we heard that like the voice just rattle off names now we're hearing and in in a way that like maybe isn't even being distributed widely yet but like in a way that is clearly like showing that 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 that, that he has them and that he's going to use them we are just hearing xx burnt number xx nice blouse swan song roy doc in the bay weed mom 420 8855 cerulean echo 19 encrypted message talia by xbox we are just hearing all of these names. Every every contact in our network is being is being shored up and gathered into a neat pile, into a neat data packet. And every person that we have worked with, like this, is the moment of like this is the moment where it's not just the three of us in danger. It is the this is like the entire resistance is in danger because every one of those names is being pulled and plucked out of our minds and gathered up. And if we don't deal with tier and then the the amassing of that data like everyone is exposed and the last name that rings out before the next action occurs is bendis Yolf's daughter b what's next the eyes of our enemy that were once kind of that milky white clouding that comes with age and deep metaphors now looks like a thunderstorm there are various shades of grays and blues and sparks of lightning and the rumbling around us matches like the rumbling of this being and there is now a thunderstorm that reflects his internal and outernal expression okay yeah the the clearing takes on uh, a chill as if a, a front is about to move through and you all can smell rain on the breeze again not a smell that you've ever it rains in jotunheim but it smells like the city it doesn't smell like fresh fresh rain oh but our rain is probably gross yeah like wet metal can i add a detail though at the same time as that smell of like rain and clear air there is also though that sensation creeping in of the smell of like overheated circuitry Mm mm-hmm there is like something of the other world is is sneaking back in, whether that's because of a loss of control on Tyr's part or like whether that's just the the veil between these two realities that we're occupying, like growing a little thinner. I, I think it is the smell of burning dust, right? When a when a when a furnace mm-hmm. kicks on that, yeah. that dusty smell gets enhanced and it's this acrid tang. It's almost like the smell of ozone, right? It's not too dissimilar from when a wire mm-hmm. burns mm-hmm. but it it puts you in mind of lightning right which mixes very eerily with the smell of the fresh rain mm-hmm. like it all has a real foreboding sense to all of it yes mm-hmm. aki mm-hmm. you acted first it's your turn again i will say that i think groa is voicing some concerns in the back of your mind and maybe suggesting that his time is now yeah yeah it feels right Especially with those connections being made to our world, all of our secrets being gathered and potentially exposed just feels feels violating. And if there's one thing I know how to rely on, it's how to rely on the power of my allies. All right. So are you going to use that, that ability? I am just refreshing my memory. 
for the audience, when you summon the bones, you can command the components. It's, I should call it the living network. You command the components and technology around you to take the physical form your giants once had. You rise from the ground, flickering in electrical energy, surrounded by the makeshift form of the giant. For the remainder of the scene, so this is the rest of the time you are in this arrangement with Tyr, double the number of dice in your pool and take no glitch dice. Note how many glitch dice you would have taken during the scene. Say how the size and scale of the giant's physical form affect every action that you take. And we'll discuss what happens with, with those noted down glitch dice when the scene ends. So, what does it look like when Groa taps into the living network? Also, I keep forgetting, and this would have been helpful to, like, remind everybody of earlier, but, like, my at-need ability is that everybody gets an extra die in their pool anytime <laughs> they need it when I'm around, so I'm sorry, oh. everybody. That should have been, hey, like, more neat. relevant than it was. That's okay. The beginning is always difficult, yeah. you know, like, in any kind of a battle. We're, we're getting our footing. We're trying to figure out who are we up against. We're not necessarily comfortable at our own powers yet. But this moment, this is where it all comes together. So the, the air around us, while it's kind of, we have that scent of ozone, that scent of burning dust. There, I think the lights start to flicker. It's like even like the world, like an eclipse is blocking out some of that natural light. And then Aki's form, which is really tall, I think like she's like, six and a half feet, wearing six inch platforms, of course. So there is even more height being added. And I'm trying to imagine like there were a lot of ancient artifacts, which are very much like analog, but in terms of in terms of like digital components, this is a place which possesses a lot of that. And I think we mentioned there might have been monitors all around us, lots of cables. Can I tell you something also that Groa notices? Yes, please. As he is surging to the fore here, he says, there are bones. So in all of the stuff, there's actual ossified material, maybe even an actual giant bone or two that he can incorporate into this form, which is the closest that any bone-bound giant has ever gotten to having bones again in the realm of the living network that's so sad and so beautiful so i think we see this this being start to being to be formed with circuitry cables there are monitors in the larger part of like the torso the thighs the back and then bones kind of pull from the ground rising up and like disturbing all the dust and they set up as spikes like maybe mm -hmm. it's a couple of ribs that become spikes down from the top of the like the crown of the head down like a dinosaur a little bit you've given your technological giant a bone mohawk yeah hell yeah. yes <laughs> hell yes hell yes hell yes so that is feels natural that's just a thing that you do now what do you do i would like to oof. oh heck there's a handful of things Okay, well, first off, we have to stop Tyr from connecting to the outside world, from connecting to any, we have to sever that connection. So I think Groa and this, this, this beast, like, they're always mumbling to themselves. It's like this, the steady hum, almost, as they're formulating plans and running through a thousand times over, like, if I take this many steps forward, I could do this action, if I could capture Tyr's sword, if I could command all of this all of these connections uh, at my will and they're going over and over and over and trying to determine what is the plan when i guess inside of groa's head aki says can we just trash the connections and there's a bit of a disgruntled rumble because that's not the most elegant but again there's that moment where they're going through every single possible plan and then destruction kind of falls upon like there's like a little ding and it's like the best way to sever a connection is to cut it off completely. And traditionally, whatever weapon you, Aki, would wield is mirrored in the giant's mm -hmm. form. And you have a whip glove. So what so does that cool. look like in this current form? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh, heck. I, I, don't, I don't know what a whip glove is, glove is to begin with. And I cannot for the life of me figure out why I decided that. Is it a, a glove that has like a whip in in the palm of it? Sure. I think it was like each of the fingers had like a cable thing. Oh my god. Okay, cool. Then let's let's go with that because Groa can then like unspool a digital hand and all of these lashing cables yes. like a 
like a fucked up cat of nine tails spring out of his palm. Yeah, it was like a cat of nine tails glove. And yeah. can just lash, like twist wrists and fingers and lash out and it starts going after the branches. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely. And it seems like such an effortless movement as like you said, the unspool. And it's just like copper cabling uh, that, that goes after these, these tree branches that are trying to maintain that connection. What detail are you going to use to do that? Just note that the rankings on, on Groa's details are the same as yours, but doubled, right? So detail one is 20 dice, detail two is 14 dice, detail three is 10 dice. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, a thousand plans, one objective. At this point in time, Tyr is obviously not at his best. He has stood up and sort of broken whatever pretense of fellowship was around this campfire. He has had to, to deal with some self-reckoning that he wasn't expecting. What do we think? What what feels right for a difficulty for this? I'm leaning towards something like a six or a seven. I was gonna say seven. I think seven was the number I was gonna go for. I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say seven. Great. So you need to throw fourteen dice at a difficulty of seven. Okay. And because I'm trying to do something with the network, you know, grow flexes his ancient muscles. <laughs> And I'm going to take two of my dice pull and set it to successes. Yes, you are. <laughs> and this is because this isn't like this isn't Groa's first rodeo. He may not get to express how what this feels like or what this like he he has fought these battles before, never against tears specifically, but fights against gods. Mm -hmm. This is what he was meant to do. Yeah. And severing these connections, that's the kind of power that he craves. So you also get two additional dice because of the giant sized whip glove. Because it's gear, but all your dice are doubled. Oh, what a great sentence. Right? Yeah. Giant-sized whip glove. <laughs> so you are now rolling. You're still rolling 14 dice, but you have two successes already. Okay. Oh, my God. Um, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, one, two, six. three, four, five, six. And then two, you have eight total. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Done. Effortless. 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 Tell me what it looks like, please. Tell all of us what it looks like. Oh, it looks so good. Yes. So we, the party themselves, like the, the people, they're sitting around this campfire as Tyr starts to rise and his form takes on that massive shape. The, 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 the sword becomes even like that much more imposing as this being starts to, to rise and we're just like these diminutive little creatures. And after Ronnie kind of ha has spoken and the whole tone of the room shifts Idas makes that eye contact and nothing feels right Groa steps forward literally and figuratively and all of these wires and connections start to take shape and this all happens in almost five to seven seconds as these giant cables unspool from Groa's hands and they slam down on the ground with their left hand they unspool the other cables and they start to slam around the room it's almost like the cables are never ending as they keep like rolling out causing damage causing chaos and severing the connections to the network that's amazing sick that's so dope so you do that the connections are are severed and you see that tier attempts to like regrow them and they're not coming out of his body again the branches are not emerging they're not falling they're not anything he is now feeling the way that groa felt when you entered this space reaching for connections and finding nothing but mm -hmm. numb points of no access and that right there is where we're going to wrap up this particular session so we can really focus on the final ending of Tear and give ourselves a chance to reflect on this entire journey that we've taken together. But for now, tonight, let's do our usual debrief. And what does everyone think of how things have gone? This is kind of like like uh, the fight against the Hand of Tear was kind of like the real coming together of the system for conflicts like this. And we're seeing mm -hmm. it play out mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. in this epic conflict with a god. How's everyone feeling about things? I like it a lot. I like a lot that there is a way to do conflict on this scale that isn't just, you know, hit a thing that shouldn't be able to be broken until yeah. it breaks. Because that kind of takes me out of the action of a lot of this type of thing anyway. Like if you are up against a literal god and like the entire linchpin upon which the whole narrative rests is that the gods cannot be beaten and then you just beat the god, like, that doesn't ever feel earned, no matter how smooth the system is. So 
being able to mm-hmm. engage with it in a way that like still follows all the same rules but is doing a thing that isn't just combat or like isn't conventional physical combat is really cool and i think that like it's a good model for what it actually has to be which is like this this confrontation of ideals but also this like mental combat but also like sometimes actually having to interface with the environment i think it's neat yeah i really like i like from a from a world building and like story like construction standpoint like to get into the 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 structure of like how to kill a god like i really love like exactly like alex said i really love that like the philosophy of it is kind of baked into it like structurally like the thing that's really cool is structurally like we're following those beats but the way that it is set up like the and 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 this is also like like you said like this is seeing the difference between fighting the hand of tear last time versus fighting tear this time we're seeing the way that we're seeing the way that the same set of rules can be applied to an ideological thing versus a versus a a a a heavy metal heavy metal finger pose like blow up everything as cool as possible like and like that's really cool and like the the that emphasis on I think I think from a story standpoint and from a mechanical standpoint and from like a game standpoint that emphasis on like we are not going in guns blazing and like fighting tier like Alex mm-hmm. said is really important and it's really the thing that stood out to me like I I had envisioned this being a little bit like like last mm-hmm. session with the hand of tear just on a higher scale and seeing it being immediately like oh this is how this fight is going to go down is very interesting and made it feel different even though we're fundamentally following the same mechanics. I just have a very good time interacting and world building, like, cooperatively. Just the collaboration with that, because everything now that I interact with as a character feels that much more tangible, because we all contributed to it. So that's just, you know, I'm just going to keep swooning about that over here. (laughs) Yeah, it's also cool, because this is really the first time since we sort of settled into this rule set that we've had a character who, in large part, wasn't conceived of by us. Mm -hmm. So I was curious to see how that was going to go, just in terms of, like, walking in and you having like a vision for tier in mind but still having that flexibility for us to get to like interact meaningfully with what that looks like was still pretty it was it was cool because you know there was sort of that excitement of like oh what is like we're finally seeing tier like what does he look like mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. then also getting to be like okay well a lot of that is still up to us but like it was a cool thing still <laughs> He was still a wizened old man i loved it well and to to pull back the curtain on that when i was Getting to this session, I was giving a lot of thought to how the fight with the hand went and how this could potentially go and and thinking, okay, so this is not the fully kitted out Rock'em Sock'em group that the Wrecking Crew was, but they have a bone bond and they could go down that (laughs) road. But it immediately was just sort of like running up against a soft barrier in my mind of like, eh, it's not really that interesting. And as your hesitance was growing and as we layered on a few more things about like the signal fading and so forth i just got the impression of like a dusty room i almost had him hooked up to like a life support system with eyes that had been replaced by monitors right like so that was like one thought for it but the more that i thought about what these gods would be like and what they would hold on to even in their depravity the more i wanted to really hearken back to what felt old to everybody and it was just riffing from there right like it just Mm -hmm. came together in that way and i really liked the juxtaposition of an environment that none of you would have ever seen and maybe had barely even heard about and i really liked the overture that happened at the beginning where it was disarming. It was a hospitable welcome to a fire from someone who, in theory, could pull this sword out of the ground and knock all your heads off with one shot. Like, that's right. the reputation, uh-huh. at least. That's the idea you carry in your mm-hmm. heads. Mm-hmm. And yep. the battleground was ideological and gave all of you a chance to position yourselves relative to how you felt about the situation and having to confront something of yourself and then turn that back on tier felt so satisfying. And some of that is going to get written into the section on how to take down a god, right? Because this is stuff we did naturally as storytellers who have now been doing this together for seven or eight sessions of of this in a system that we designed to play to our strengths. (laughs) 
So, you know, making sure that people understand that these conflicts can be knock down, drag out fights, and that can be really satisfying in this system. But we transitioned seamlessly to a conflict. There was not even an inflection point where it's like, okay, the fight happens now. Aki made eye contact and that was it. Like it was, it just flowed. And so just letting people know that conflicts and how dice are marked off, reasons that you can have stakes can be prompted by something of the nature of the God, in this case, judgment, right? And how you respond to that, how you resist that, because that's what this is all about, is resisting that tyranny, sets the stage for how the rest of the conflict plays out. And I like that we've sort of transitioned to a possible physical end to this, because now you all feel like you're on a level playing field with a god. And that's fucking wild. That's amazing. (laughs) That's cool as hell. I also think it's worth pointing out, because it is something that's like implicit to the game design, but for people who are not like, you know, game design heads who are always like doing critical literary analysis on every mechanic in a game, even though it is implicit to the game in the way that the characters themselves are structured, like it's worth noting explicitly that what's cool is that since you are literally always rolling moves based upon like what your character is, like what their character traits are, as opposed to like what a block of stats is, it means that implicitly like your roles in the party are going to be defined by what your character is good at, Mm -hmm. which, you know, again, it sounds like the kind of thing where when you say all those words, it's like, well, yeah, obviously, but like, it's worth noticing because, you know, it is meaningful. And it's like, I have I've personally felt like I've struggled a little bit throughout this playtest, not with the game itself, but with like the character concept that I brought to the table of like, how do you role play out like a character whose whole deal is just like hanging back and watching other people and supporting them without just being like, and then I said, and then I looked like this, and then there was this thing that I was thinking. <laughs> and so it, like, it, it is difficult because the other two characters are like so dynamic and so cool that all the time I just want to be like watching them do stuff. <laughs> but getting to this point and realizing like, here's an angle we can take where this is like the one thing this character is good at and was born to do. And the way that that feels so satisfying when you get to it, because it's like I was rolling against a literal god and doing the exact same thing that both of my teammates had done. And for me, it was a drastically different role. Like everything about it felt different, which is cool. Yeah. And and, uh, and, uh, related to that, a thing that I want to shout out is like really, really cool mechanically that I think is like a good... We kind of we kind of tested kind of like and on the fly a little bit of like a mechanic that we rolled into not the last two sessions with the Wrecking Crew, but like right before that playing Ronnie this session was markedly different than playing Ronnie in the past because we had changed one of her stats to Itis and Aki are getting out of here and playing that character with like. That that idea of, like, just swapping out a, a quality or a trait and being like, this is your thing now. Like, this is one of your core right. ideals made playing that character very different because instead of playing the sort of the, the sort of Han Solo rogue type, I was playing a person that's like, I am putting I am putting the survival of these two people as the highest priority. And so, like, it, seeing that on the character sheet and going like, OK, cool, like, this is not what was here before, but it's informing the way that I'm what I'm bringing to this session is like a really cool it felt like tangible growth as a character of being like, okay, cool. This is how I'm, this is who this character is now, because this is what I have on the page and being able to really like embody that and use that strategically, right? Like, like there's that, there's, there's the kind of fun that is, I am using my, I am using my tools to my advantage, right? Like I am, I am playing to win using those, those, those signs of character growth and saying, okay, cool. This is how I'm going to use these signs of character growth as it like to win is hugely like is huge it's just cool as hell it was a really cool feeling to like see that character change and get to play with that that change as a as a as a tactical advantage it's cool it's not a thing every game does well and in fact a lot of games don't really do it at all like in D&D, the closest I can think would be like over, you know, many tens of levels, you might start to make choices that push your stats in a certain way or like multi-class and then, you know, take the next three years of your life to build a character who does something else well. <laughs> in like, the closest I can think of is I play a ton of Monster of the Week mm-hmm. and felt like a playbook change. You know, it was something where like this so fundamentally altered the way that your character interacts with the world because it's 30% of your whole guy, right? Like, yeah, that Mm -hmm. it really just changing that one trait, swapping it out, like marked a fundamental character shift in a way that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love it. 
I was just thrilled with the story choices that you all made. And like, I don't think any of the uses of the details for the roles felt forced. I, I, I felt like they were all in keeping with how you would respond to the things that were happening. It, it, everything just felt like pitch perfect tonight. And to see you all react to the other choices that, that everyone else was making was really, really gratifying. I think we made Jeff cry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, this was, yeah, this yeah, was yeah. 100% really good. It's so funny, like looking at the, the nature of this boss fight, as opposed to the, um, the hand of deer boss fight where it's like, can we talk about drill hands? Every part is a weapon. It speaks in your own voice, and it's a threat to the network. God, yeah. terrifying. Terrifying. Hand of hand Absolutely of tear was terrifying. pretty fucked up. Drill but hands. But I just mean, in terms of the fight, like, multiple times in the course of that fight, one of us made a choice that was like, I know this screws things up for everybody else, and that's between you and God. Uh, figure it out. <laughs> Whereas, like, in this fight, the nature of the party dynamic being so different that there were so many instances yeah. of, like, oh, I think, like, maybe here's a detail you can use. Like, here's something that'll help you. Like, I'm going to put myself between you and the danger, which is so funny because, you know, we're the same people. We have the same, like, game. We have the same system in front of us and the same stakes, essentially. But, you know, just interfacing with the rules in such a different way was really cool. Yeah, and I'm really glad that the game can support that right because the point of this system i am discovering and leading into is that it is designed to tell the kinds of stories that you want to tell with the characters that you have in front of you right now and who those characters are can shift mm -hmm. from one scene to another if you want mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you're still telling the same story and you're still getting a satisfying outcome based on how those characters would act and react in a given situation it feels really really solid and i'm really happy that this is where the system has gotten to because for us and i hope for other people who play this eventually it feels like it's as natural as breathing right like it's we're yeah yeah we have to stop and think when there's maybe the first time i asked you know what's the worst thing you've ever done that's like oh that's a that's a pause <laughs> moment mm -hmm. but then that developed going around the table to a moment where Alex got the question that made Jeff cry and had to describe what Tyr mm -hmm. had done. And it all got inverted because that seemed like the most natural set of story choices to make in the moment. And the system supports that. And that feels really good. Iron Edder Reforged is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network in conjunction with the other dev productions written and designed by Tracy Barnett Performed by Alex Flanagan, B. Zelda, and Jeff Stormer. Edited by Jupiter Aquas. When we started this session, I really didn't know how it was going to go. Right, this is kind of the the final test, if you will, of of how this entire campaign is going to finish up, how the game is going to finish up. All of it. I was stunned when we wrapped up this session, and I'm very glad that we made the choice that we did to leave the penultimate session, which wrapped up in, in this episode here, as it was, so we would have a chance to really play out the ending of Tear in our final session. So there's only two more episodes of Iron Edder Reforged Puppet Strings. Uh, we're coming to the end of it. And I'm really, really happy with how everything shakes out. It is, gosh, it has been a joy to do this. Uh, obviously, the, the technical side of things, getting episodes posted on time, hi, this one's a week late, you know, uh, is a challenge because... Life doesn't always proceed smoothly, but I, I could not be more pleased with how this campaign has gone, how this game is turning out, and I'm really glad that you all get to hear it. If you're enjoying this, if you want to see more of this system, of this story even to some degree, I highly encourage you to tune in to the OneShot Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash OneShotRPG. On Tuesday mornings, uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern to 11.30 a.m. Eastern, where myself 
and Big Bees and Danny and Bezelda themselves are all playing in the bubble with me. Uh, it is uh, a spiritual successor to the story of Puppet Strings. Uh, there are, are ramifications of what happened in Puppet Strings that lead into what happens in, in the bubble. And it's a delight. We've had our second episode uh, just today, this morning, here on the 22nd of February, 2022. And we had a great time. So definitely check that out. And if you would like to uh, chuck some money my direction, you're going to see some more Edic Engine goodness as the days, weeks, and months proceed. I've got at least one other thing in the works, maybe two, and I'm excited to see what this system can do in a setting outside of the confines of Iron Edda. Uh, Iron Edda is fantastic, I love it, but this system can really do a bunch of different stuff, and I want to see how far we can push it. So, thank you very, very much for listening to this show. I'm going to do my best to get the next two episodes up on time, and we will see you for the finale finale starting next week. Thanks. If you enjoyed this show, you should check out some other shows on the One Shot Podcast Network. Shows like Design Doc. Join hosts Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland as they redesign their first role-playing game, Questlandia. Design Doc is an experiment in public participatory analog game design. It's fun, it's messy, and you're invited along for the ride.